Thank you for listening to the Coach Fury Podcast. This is a bonus episode coming to you from Fuquay Arena, North Carolina, where I'm hanging out with my OS family for the Original Strength Pro course. And I had the opportunity to talk to some friends that I don't get to hang out with much here. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to come down here and figured out last minute, let's make a podcast out of it. So we're going to be talking with physical therapist and OS master instructor, Dan Barrows, chiropractor and OS master instructor, Dr. Mike Musselman, and professional football coach and contributor to the new course, OS Pro Performance, Chip Morton. So I'm excited for you guys to hear us chat about more of the clinical side and a bit of how that applies to the athletic side of using original strength and also the lines between the clinical side and the trainer side. So I'm excited for that. But as always, if you're interested in either taking classes with me, um, personal training, online coaching, or a course, like maybe one of the several original strength pressing reset courses I'm teaching, head on over to coachfury.com to see what I'm up to. Also, since this is an OS course that we're, we're coming from, please check out originalstrength.net just for any more information on OS and what pressing reset means and how to learn about it. Uh, find a coach in your neighborhood. Check that out as well. And with that, no long intro this time, uh, I do want to give you the things that I'm into. When I was getting ready to board the plane for this, I got to see the new Infinity Wars trailer. And oh my gosh, I'm into that trailer. It's huge. Getting deeper into Jessica Jones 2, the series, more episodes. Man, I'm really digging the backstory on that. I'm liking where they're going with that. Those are going to be two. Oh, you know, what? I'm going to add this. Thanks to Mike Dolan from the FTW. I checked out the new Judas Priest album. I've never been a huge Judas Priest fan, but man, that new album is unexpectedly good. So those are three things that Fury's into. What I'm also into is original strength. And here is Dan, Mike, and Chip talking about OS. This one, we're recording on a new mic. This is Mr. Tim Anderson's mic. So if my voice sounds different, deal with it. Thank you in advance for dealing with the sound of my voice. And we're in a hallway because we're actually at the Pro Reset course in North Carolina at the Original Strength Institute. And it's currently going on just outside a door. So uh, I hope the audio quality is solid. What I know is solid is the two gentlemen, three-fourths of the Baldies at Original Strength are with me. And we haven't had these guys on the podcast. I don't know if they've been on a podcast. I know this is gonna be Dr. Dan Barrow's first podcast. Dr. Mike Mosselman, Fueled by Monster Energy and Egg Bagels. Is this your first podcast? Uh, it's my first podcast. Awesome. Now, I think this is really cool because I got to tell you, folks, we've had Tim and Danny from OS on, and we talk about sort of like the foundation elements of original strength. And the Pressing Reset course, the one that I teach, is meant to be the foundation elements. We get into a little bit of the why behind it, but at the pro course, we not only progress the resets, but we found out we, we dive deep into the why behind it. And these two gentlemen bring the why and also how to apply it for things outside of just strength training or fitness. So say hi. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Hello out there, everybody. That voice is Dan. Hi, guys. And that's Mike. <laughs> it's going to get <laughs> super confusing from here on out. So what I would like to ask you guys, I'll start with Mike, so we can make this a little less confusing just in terms of who's speaking. So this will be Mike. And this voice you're hearing right now is mine. The whisper. It's mine. Um, what is what would you think from coming from a, a pressing reset course coming into pro? What would be one of the bigger takeaways that you think people might not be understanding at the pro at the re, at the reset course before transitioning in terms of how 
the resets are actually affecting our neurology. I think the biggest thing that, that you miss in between pressing reset and what we go over in OS Pro is just what you said, how huge of an effect the resets have on the central nervous system, uh, specifically the brain. As we start to look uh, both subcortically and cortically, the, the input and the output that we're going to drive with, whether it's crawling or rocking, um, it has a, a really large effect. Um, motor cortex-wise, there's going to be light up both sides of the brain. You're going to drive a lot of information across the corpus callosum, create some balance. I don't know if I want to say balance. I would say more efficient communication between the two hemispheres of the brain. Um, the big thing also that I don't know if they always take away from, from pressing reset is when you start to look at that, the magnitude of that effect, is it actually going to change the sequencing of the muscles, how things fire the proper sequence? Because we go back to these patterns that that's how we developed it originally. And so when you start to look at what we do at, at pros, we're going to dive into that a little bit deeper so that people understand neurologically, uh, there's this humongous effect from this little simple movement. And when it lights up the brain like that, it does some really wonderful things for the human body. It's, it's not just affecting just the motor system. When you start to have ties into the immune system, the autonomic nervous system, the digestive tract, those things all play a role and are all affected by how we move, how we breathe, or how we don't move, how we don't breathe. That's awesome. So for, for listeners, Mike literally just presented again, and I want to give him props because I've seen this is the third time I've been to a pro course. I've seen the curriculum evolve, but for both of these guys, but I'm going to say Mike in particular, because he tends to have the most sciency of the scientifical presentations delivery he gets better every year. The thing that resonated with me really deeply aside from the story of your daughter, which we don't have to get into now, that'll be a separate episode, is just the directness of the subconscious stuff that's happening and the stuff that we're aware that's happening. And, you know, in the course, we'll talk about a spidey sense and just the deepening of how and why that's happening. Is there like a relatively quick answer we could do in terms of like the stuff that we're not aware of? You did an amazing job of explaining the things we're not aware of versus but they're still happening. Uh, yeah, really simply, all that information that's going on it's going to crash into a couple sub subcortical structures. One is the thalamus. The other is the vestibular nuclei. When it crashes into those, not everything goes to the conscious brain. So <clears throat> I use the example. We have a, a gentleman here that's a former special operator from Germany. And him and I had a couple of cool conversations about firefights he was in. And I use him as an example because when he was advancing in one of the firefights, he was completely unaware of the terrain around him, but yet he didn't trip. His eyes out of the peripheral vision could see his feet could sense the changes in the terrain, but he was completely consciously unaware of what was going on. It's no different than uh, you made a good point field sense. Uh, we have an NFL strength coach here. He has guys that are amazing and they do these amazing feats on the field. And they're like, how did he not get depleted? How did he not? How did he see that guy? He didn't see that guy. His body saw that guy, his brain saw it and he reacted and that's how we need to deplete it. So it brings out that field awareness. And when you train it, you deepen it. And it's because those two cortical, those two subcortical structures, not all that information needs to be conscious. And if it had to be conscious, by the time you've reasoned your way through it, you're either going to get run over, shot, beat up, chased down, trip and break an ankle, crash your skateboard. Those things happen. That's where you start to look at some of those athletes that don't make it to the next level is because they're too cerebral. They try to think their way through it versus letting those autonomic centers, those automatic centers, if you will, they react. And we're programmed to have those things react on a big level. But I think we lose a lot of it with modern lifestyle. We sit on our butts, we look at our cell phones, we play on the computer. We don't get out, we don't move, we don't stimulate and fire those patterns. 
That's awesome. I know for me, it's, you know, I'll see it even just on a client that moves fairly well, but when it just comes to trying to perform an exercise, the overthinking of an exercise, like we can't create tension through everything. So in OS, we deal with this idea of reflexive strength, reflexive stability, reflexive mobility. So you actually move the way that we were intended to move as opposed to creating a tension strategy. Now, look, if you're going to get on a back squat with 600 pounds, you're going to create a tension strategy. This is going to be a stronger support system underneath it. But I've seen on just relatively basic movement patterns where people are over tensing. And this is the stuff that will allow the body to just act right? Without yes. having, like, we shouldn't have to overthink a lot. Like a getup is on a Turkish getup, kettlebell getup, starting on the floor with a kettlebell in your hand and standing up. Yeah. There's seven steps to it. Like, it's not like an easy exercise, just like put your butt down on the floor, but it shouldn't necessarily always be so complicated in terms of the coaching from a physical standpoint. Sometimes it's super complicated. Sometimes we're overthinking those things. So just throwing that out an example of it. Even carry that to everyday life with people. I mean, Grandma and grandpa need to get up off the floor. Yeah. If you have kids, get up off the floor. Do you really need to think about your strategy of getting up and down off the floor? You shouldn't. And the reality is there's some little programs that we develop and then they get wired in of how to do those things. And if you watch people get up and down, they typically get up and down the exact same way every single time. Yeah. And that's okay. That's how the, the nervous system operates. But you're right. What we want to train is that reflexive side where things turn on. When you walk across the floor, you should not have to think about all of the muscles that need to fire. You shouldn't have to think about stabilizing the core my favorite word, not <laughs> to use your arms and legs independently from the center of mass of the body. Yeah. Those things happen automatically. Taking up from there, one of the things that Dan had said yesterday in his presentation was just, you know, we talk about kids and how resilient kids are and how, cause they're constantly in a state of pressing reset and play again in society right now, it's somewhat diminishing. I know, you know, with technology, that's part of it. It's also been interesting for me growing up and well, raising my kids in Brooklyn versus Long Island, where we've had more access to backyards and playgrounds and bike riding, but that how, you know, kids can fall and get back up. Kids can keep falling and get back up. Right. And you were talking about how, you know, as we get older, we don't necessarily get back up as quick, but if we keep reengaging in these things, that's where you find people that can keep doing martial arts, doing their sports longer and be more resilient to injury. Now, the thing that I really liked about both of yours, but especially Dan, when you mentioned it, is when people take an original strength course, whether it's coming for the pro or even the reset, there are some people that are coming in in a really banged up situation, and they're sort of looking for this fast cure from the course. And sometimes that's frustrating. Where do you think from an OS perspective, something that comes out of this course, the pro course, that we could help provide a, a little greater insight in terms of how OS can help somebody that might come in very banged up? but also like the realistic where that's going to go structure off, you know, being a part of that. I think some people defy, don't, don't want to believe that structurally there's things that this won't, let's say it'll help, but won't change structure. Right. right. What do you think um, a piece of advice for those people that might be coming into an OS pressing reset course or trying resets for the first time from the book or a DVD? And they're like, you know, I feel a little better, but like, I don't frustrate because I don't feel greatly better yet. Right. Well, I think it starts with hope, right? I mean, we come into a, a situation where we want to make sure that we maximize what we're able to do in life, living life, enjoying friends, families, functions, activities. So when we get to an OS, we want to make sure that whatever we're trying to do, we're trying to maximize our potential. So that potential comes from the basis of, can I maximize what I have? Now, sometimes and often we all have different amounts of what we have, quote unquote. 
So if you've had um, an injury in the past, and so if you've not done a motor pattern or a movement for a period of time, that joint, that muscle becomes dysfunctional. If it stays dysfunctional too long, sometimes the body permanently changes itself to say, this is how I'm choosing to be. So when you go to an OS and you want to start to do some movements, the body will try to make an adaptation if it's able. Sometimes it's not able. Sometimes the, the arthritis or a shortened muscle is too much for the body just to overcome in and of itself. So coming into OS, the first thing you need to have an idea of is it's going to start to maximize what is potentially available. Mm-hmm. Whatever is done over a period of a course or a week or a month of training with OS, some of those residuals may be things that become more permanent and need to have some intervention done through a professional, through a chiropractor, or through a therapist. Uh, but something is specifically directed at that tissue. So one of the things that we talk about in OS is that structure governs function. And we talk about how natural selection occurs in in our world now. So people who have long legs tend to be runners. People who have long torsos tend to be swimmers and so on. So if we have those um, elements in our bodies that are are innate, um, sometimes we have to just accept the fact that life is what it is. And so we live in a broken world, unfortunately. And so what happens is things break. And OS isn't going to fix everything, um, but it does maximize your potential to live a life full of hope. Um, And and even with what I do with my practice, I find that OS is a way for uh, people to engage their own self in their own active participation in life. Um, Not necessarily coming to the professional and say, hey, how can you fix me in our society? It's like, this is what you can do for yourself. Yeah, I think that's a great point to make. I literally just had, there's a coach from another gym near me that brings in people that she feels needs OS, including her trainers to help pick up some things to use with their clients. But she brought in um, someone she trains with really bad back issues and has been trying a lot of ways. And she came to me, like, basically she emailed me the question after doing a session and feeling really good. She's like, you know, things have been progressively getting worse. Do you think I should continue working with my trainer? Should I see a physical therapist or should I come with you? And I have to say like at your level there, you know, there's probably structural stuff that you should be dealing with a physical therapist that I'm, that's not my scope. Um, I could probably find ways to help you, but at the level of severity. So I think that's an important part that we're talking, we never, I didn't even set this up. This is horrible. I mean, Dan, tell them really quickly what you do, your profession outside of, you know, master OS instructor. Both of these guys are master OS instructors. Sure. Well, I'm a, I'm a physical therapist, uh, have an office in California and I teach in the doctoral program at the university for PT students. Awesome. I'm a chiropractor. I run a private practice in uh, New Orleans, Minnesota. Yeah. So these are the guys that I, if I lived close, I would refer to, or if I had an online training client, because strength coaches, even if you're versed, even if you're a, a, a pro certified course, you, we got to be, believe that we can help people, but we also need to notice them to the right people to help them more because it is about having like making the most of what we have access to. Right. It's funny. I never thought of it, but when you were saying this, making the most, it's kind of like for, for anybody in trainer land, like passive versus active range of motion. Right you might have more range of motion than your brain allows you. So like Mike grabs my arm, pulls it further back than I can on my own. There's no pain. Suddenly we add a little something to it. And then my brain goes, Oh, I have access to that. Right. OS, I look at is that it's finding the most that we have access to that. We probably have no idea we're capable of, but there are going to be some walls in that. And that's just part of life. But 
can we climb those walls as high as we can before we just go F it. There's a wall. I'm done. Right. So I, that was interesting. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. I, I, I would encourage clients to do that. I mean, you, there's a lot you can do for yourself. And, and I would encourage people that are listening, like develop a relationship with physical therapists, with chiropractors, find ones that you trust and that you like, get to know them, take them to lunch, whatever. So you get to kind of know their philosophy and how they do stuff and make it a win-win because the reality is I love working with patients, but there's a time limitation I have too. And if I had someone like Fury in the area, would I send people? Yeah. Here's where you need to go to. We've got you to this point. He's going to know what to do. And I would communicate with him and I would, we'd have a professional relationship of, Hey, Hey coach, this is what we need to look at with this patient. I've, uh, as a chiropractor, I've sent people to the, the PT clinic because you know what? You just tore up your knee. That needs to be evaluated and rehabbed with a special emphasis on that. I don't have the equipment for that. That's where you need to go. And it's, to me, it should be about your client or your patient in front of you. Do the best you can to meet their needs. And like you said, if there's a wall that you, you go to the top of the wall, you're like, man, there's just, they're not, then you need to take it to the next level to try to get them over that wall. Because oftentimes, you know what, if, if they've got someone like you to work with, it would make my job way easier. Yeah, I agree, Mike. And it would, it would, it would facilitate their healing in a much and recovery in a much faster time so they can get back to doing the things they enjoy doing with you or with their family or whatever reason they're, they've sought your services. Yeah, from the coach perspective, I know, look, from an emotional, I want to help people. It is the best way to help people. When someone has an issue, whether something's got an aggravated training with me, you know, things happen in fitness. You know, yep. my first rule is do no harm, but somebody has a bad day. Something just goes wrong sometimes. Sometimes you get little tweaks, pull strains. I have an awesome group of people in New York that I send people to. And what's great about having people that you trust not only in their capabilities, but also that you know they trust you and your capabilities is you don't end up having people going to whoever the person is that their insurance can take or the lowest cost person who will say, well, don't do things. Because the bottom line is, is like ending movement for the most part isn't a solution for most movement issues, yeah. right? Oh, exactly. Uh, I, yeah. I, I always look at it as my, my, my former father-in-law used to say like, oh, my back hurts, so I don't do this. And then, well, what happens the next time something else hurts? You don't want to take, keep taking limitations and living with limitations. You want to get, you got to keep trying to break those walls down and having guys like Mike or Dan or the folks that I have in New York help build ladders when they've hit the wall on my side. And then we can continue to like build a bigger ladder together because it is a two stream. Cause sometimes they're going to end sessions with their chiropractor or with Dan, they're going to not mm -hmm. go. And then they're still going to have a life out there that they need to get better at and definitely build those networks. If it's so funny how people will talk about like, I know financial concerns, like I am not a loaded guy, but this is like directly your health. So if you're going to invest in that, you know, maybe you cancel cable for like two months and then guess on the binge watch, you'll be able to do a game of Thrones <laughs> when you sign back on. But sometimes we lose perspective on the reality of that sometimes. And I know when it's tough, but if you find the right people, you're going to get the most out of that hour too, versus I, I would guarantee one session with Dan or Mike would be greater than 10 sessions with sort of an average physical therapist or chiropractor. And that's not a diss on the profession. It's just, we know there's just like in trainer land, just like in anyone, there's higher level people. Um, and I'm not going to lie. I get tingly in below the waistband when Dan says things like hope, because I'm a big thing that what we all do in health and wellness is we're providing hope for a better life, a longer life, a healthier life, abilities, right? Because yep. generally as we get old, we're thinking about limitations, aging, things getting rougher. I don't want things to get rougher. Like yeah. 
job stress, work, responsibility is going to make life rough enough. I don't want my physical well-being to be crushed underneath that. We have a great example here with Kirby. There we go. Yes. He's 70 years old. And man, when I'm 70, if I look half as good as Kirby right. does and move half as well as he does, I'll have done something right. Because the reality is if someone didn't tell me he was 70, I'd think he is like maybe 60, 55-ish. Because yeah. personality, how he moves, you can't tell that because he's someone that's taking care of himself and he, he didn't stop moving. He kept moving yeah. and moving and moving. Yeah. If, uh, yeah. Kirby Sams, look him up on Facebook, everybody. He'll suddenly get a <laughs> bunch of friends, but Kirby Sams is, uh, I believe turning 70 or yeah. might've just turned, just 70, turned 70. And he yeah. is like shredded diesel, super sharp. You would never guess it. But on flip side, think of somebody, you know, that might be 70 that doesn't exercise and hasn't exercised. Yeah. It's not just genetics or Kirby. It's because Kirby has invested the time and believes in what he's doing. And it is for me, and we talked about this because he picked me up to bring me over here yesterday. It is the die mighty message. Like that is the whole thing. And that is also the original strength message. We're not meant to get old and, and like fall apart, at least not in the way we've, we've bought in. Um, let's bring it back to Mike. Mike, so in behind the scenes here, Basically, there's been lots of like checking chiropractic stuff. Saryan, who's here, has been checking and helping people out. So I just want to continue to stress that none of these systems independent of each other are the only avenues we take, right? It's sort of like the through line for what we do. Uh, what's a piece of advice that you could give somebody so they're either unaware of what original strength is or they have like a basic knowledge, someone introduced them to it? What, what would be a tip for them to start practicing and what would be a potential red light for them that it's time to check in with you or Dan? Okay. I, I would say tip for practicing. First thing, learn how to breathe. Um, I get like an hour and a half or it was supposed to be an hour and a half. I went a little long today. Um, I spent the whole first part. And what did I talk about? Nothing but breathing because it's that powerful. And most of us spend our whole days mouth breathing <laughs> and we don't realize and it's destroying us. That's going to yeah. sound great. I can't <laughs> wait to listen to that back. <clears throat> our Darth Vader look or Darth Vader sound. So the first thing I tell people is learn how to breathe. Master the breathing. And as simple and as silly as it sounds, if you want to do the sexy stuff is what I call the crawling like Tim does, learn how to do the breathing on the front end. Because tell you what, and Tim will be honest with you about this. I guarantee if you ask him, if he didn't know how to breathe and wasn't good at it, he wouldn't be able to crawl. wouldn't have been able to crawl a mile when he crawled a mile. Because yeah. he wouldn't have been able to put it out. What I would say when you're looking for, you know, that red light where you need to go and see someone like myself or Dr. Dan. And, and I want to say this kind of a side note. There's like this uh, artificial fight that's been made between chiropractors and PTs for, <laughs> for decades. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's asinine if I can say that on, on a podcast. And oh, you can have, say worse on this. Not have the we're FTC explicit. come to my, come to my house. And, uh, I'm respecting the OSI. <laughs> <laughs> But I've had nothing but a great relationship with Dan, and we've been able to share some stuff. And actually, Dan has shared some stuff with me that I've been able to take back to my patient base and help them. And sometimes I'm thinking, man, I should probably send them a percentage, but that'd be illegal because it's splitting fees. Yeah. So I'm not going to do I'll that. I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. <laughs> so, so don't be scared to – there should be able to be a cooperation. Yeah. If, if I felt something like they should go see a PT because they're going to be able to focus the time on that special thing for that long, I'll send them to a PT. Sometimes it sucks not being able to find a good PT, but don't be scared of that. And so if there's Kairos listening to this, 
man, break down the walls and get to know some of the PTs. PTs, you can hate me all you want, but get to know some chiros. Are there a-holes in both professions? Yep, there sure are, and I've dealt with both of them. Find the good ones. That's what I would say. Red lights, the reality is if something continues to hurt and it's not changing, something's not right. Banging your head against the wall in a different position doesn't make the headache go away. It's still going to make it worse. So if you have something, whether it's a, man, my shoulder just keeps pinching, keeps biting, keeps barking. It's the back. It's a knee. It's an ankle. I don't care what part of the body is. You know what? You give away, you run through some stuff and it's just not changing. Especially if you're working with an instructor that knows what they're doing, it's time to, to seek help to at least be evaluated because of the way I run my office. If I don't think I can help you, I'm going to send you where you should. I had a young man that was referred in by friends, messed up his ankle wrestling. He didn't mess up his ankle. He broke his fibula. Oof. And I was like, well, something's not right here. Took an x-ray and went, I'm putting these on a disc. You need to go to the medical clinic. Called his mom back and said, look, I'm 99.999% sure it's broken. I circled it on the freaking x-ray so they can see where it's at. I'm going to send him to the clinic because I don't do fractures. Yeah. So it's just be mature and love the, your clients. You're not getting better, Mrs. Jones. We're banging our head against the wall. You know what? And you'd have to go see Dr. Dan or Dr. Mike, let them evaluate you. So they at least can say, I can help you or no, uh, we need to go even further. And I know in trainer land, sometimes we worry about losing the potential client oh, or getting told oh, they can't yeah. train. If you send me someone, I'm sending them back to you. Yes. But, it, but it's also, we need to know that, you know, that this area of scope is grayer and grayer these days because programs mm-hmm. like OS do blur the lines where we can work together. I don't want to say it separately. I want to say more together. Mm-hmm. Like they are, the, the, the common denominator is really pain, right? So, Dan, I want to throw this at you. So sure. this is something, you know, we just went through the original strength, strength screening and assessment. The difference when someone says something feels tight, sore, or pain, and sharp or numb. Now, I know that leads to a lot of things, but a lot of the times as trainers, in particular, this idea of it feels tight. Where do you think that falls in the spectrum in terms of, like, where as a trainer should I be, you know, I know I would go into breathing, I would go into resets to see if that opens up. But if someone's got sort of per- perpetual tightness, say in a shoulder, hip, lower back, sure. where do you, where, where would that go? Is that something, is that something I should be thinking, even though there's technically, they're not saying pain? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, um, I'm always one to think that, um, when things are asymmetrical, one side versus, versus another, or it's bilaterally, I'm less concerned when there's bilaterals soreness or tightness because I, I typically find that's from some activity mm-hmm. a unilateral one side or the other then i'm starting to be a little more concerned like i wonder why one side hurts and one doesn't so usually my my uh little advice is engage in a process of uh no worsening of, of the symptoms so if you're doing an activity and it doesn't worsen try that activity slowly and stretching and find out what happens over the course of one to two days if the soreness starts to subside then you're okay and continue on you never want to see an increase in symptoms or you don't want to see anything that actually begins to travel. So if the pain is the size of a baseball, you don't want that baseball then to become even a golf ball smaller, but then travel down out a limb, out an arm or down a leg. Uh, that's usually a sign that something's worsening, even though the size may be shrinking, it starts to travel or what we'll call referred pain. Um, you got to be careful with that. So that's the time for you to be kind of cautious, go slowly. Um, and if it starts to refer, you know, the common... Uh, I've always told uh, my, my folks is that, you know, patients will tell you a lot of information if you just stop long enough to listen to them. So if they just, if you just take a second to listen to them and ask them if they've had this before, they'll say, 
oh yeah, that happens all the time. Well then it's probably okay because they've already dealt with it. But they go, no, I've never had this happen before. Oh, really? Then you should probably be cautious because they, the patient's not going to help you with it because they don't know. That brings up an interesting point because what we've, what I, you know, I, what I've had people come to me, it feels like a little more often in the last year. Maybe it's an OS-related thing. I don't know. Maybe it's just my, I don't know, reputation's gotten out. Um, is those people that deal with pain, but it's been a long-term thing, and they've been going to physical therapy, they've gone to several doctors, but they're still dealing with it. Mm-hmm. And what would be a suggestion, and both of you guys can speak upon this, in terms of like, where would I take that? Like, I'm definitely not somebody that is going to be like, oh, your shoulder hurts, so we're going to go overhead, or your knee hurts, so we're going to do a pistol squat. <laughs> I can yeah. almost imagine that session. Um, but there are those people that are just like, this is part of who I am. My back's going to hurt. Right. right. Almost doing anything. Where, where do you fall in line of like, you know, I know my sort of relatively self-limiting, hard to hurt exercises because like strengthening often does need to happen in some of those cases. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a perpetual fragility systemic over almost over like what I could see as a trainer as like a, a specific joint or nerve thing. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, because then you start to deal with, uh, you know, central and peripheral sensitization. So to get all fancy and dancy basically because there's been nociceptive or tissue damage, which we interpret as pain, continues to fire and fire. There's changes that take place neurologically. Um, uh, my buddy Fred Clary always says biology rules. And what he means is we seek efficiency in all that we do. Our brain, our body was designed for efficiency. So if you're injured and you, let's say, didn't take care of it appropriately and it becomes a chronic thing, you get really good at transmitting pain. Mm-hmm. The brain changes, the spinal cord changes. There's things that change. The whole process, you know, there's things called... Uh, uh, ramp up and whatnot. We could get all into that. Here's where I would start with something like that. Can you help them? I think so. The biggest issue you're going to run into is the kind of the psychosocial part of it, where some people that pain starts to serve a purpose. And you can simply ask. I mean, I've had a couple patients where I'm like, I think we're going to send you out because I'm like, so, and this hasn't changed. You've had it for 20 years. Like, does this serve a purpose? Like, what do you get out of this? And when someone says, well, my wife treats me better when my back hurts, it doesn't matter what you do. Their back's going to hurt because their wife treats them better. So they've kind of made this kind of weird, sick, twisted in our mind association. And they're going to try to hang on to that because that's who my wife loves me more, but someone that's a true chronic and they don't have the necessarily all the psychological, you start slow and you're going to want to ramp up, you know, that, that afferent input quality pattern input is going to help. I mean, it's kind of the, the, the pain gate, the gate theory of pain, if you will. But if you can increase quality input through the, the afferents, you're going to help decrease that nociceptive effect, that, that pain effect. And you can, you can make progress with these people, but it's going to be slow yeah. and warn them. You know, Bob, you might be a little extra sore. That's okay. Don't freak out. We're going to work through this slowly together. And I would monitor them and just like, no different than any other. If it gets way worse, it starts to get worse, 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 pull the plug and say, we need to have you evaluated. Yeah. I've already been to all the other clinics. They might be someone that it's stuck in between their ears. And I hate to say it that way, but sometimes that happens. Yeah, no, the hard part I think sometimes is, is it is, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy a little bit. Like, yeah. and we become so accustomed to almost defining ourselves by our fragility. And I know I'm, I'm saying this to somebody that I know I do this, you know, like, nutrition being my weak spot, I know that I am very easy to be like, I really like beer and chocolate, which is really true. But also if I bum out on like, I'm like 20 pounds heavier, I'm like, oh, yeah. but you become what, especially when you do have an issue, it, it can define you and you don't realize that you're purposing it that way. Yeah. So that 
it becomes, again, keep going back to this idea of hope that you find this aspect of hope, but we as trainers and as physical therapists and as chiropractors help have to find that way to provide it. So it's kind of like, I know, having gone through surgeries and, you know, uh, you know, it's when you do go to a physical therapist. And for me, this was original strength with Tim. I, I started training in OS. Tim wrote me a program. We've spoken about it here and, you know, I had back issues and, you know, when you, after you're going to a good physical therapist or Cairo for a little while, suddenly you realize three weeks later that you haven't had pain in three weeks because it's not right at the fourth thought of what you're thinking about, right? You've actually taken it, you're not defining yourself by it and your nervous system chills out. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, like we have, a, we have a phrase in our office that says, pain is inevitable, misery is optional. Sure. Right? I mean, we live in a world where people are going to hurt and as much as we want to fix everyone, uh, we sometimes we can't, but we can control how we view pain, and that I think we, we've gotten into a society where quick fixes, a pill fixes everything. I'm not supposed to hurt. Life is fair. I think is skewed how we even look at health, because um, I think good things can come out of adversity, right? Yeah. Um, it depends on your view, but if you do that, um, I think chronic pain is kind of a unique character because it's it's going to be there. Um, pain no longer has a purpose. It, it originally tells us it's the idiolite that goes on in our car, right? Go check your engine. Great. So then you go to someone and have them check your engine. So you check it out and they say, hey, it's fine. The problem is you can't go and turn off the idiolite. It yeah. stays on. You go, I know, man. And so that's what chronic pain can do for you. Um, and so as long as you begin to understand it and you realize, oh, I had it checked out. It's okay. Move through it. Often the body can begin to adjust that. But uh, we have a hard time, and that fear is probably the number one thing that stops us in life. The fear of, mostly the fear of the unknown. I mean, in my practice, I will see someone move that doesn't look right. I, I check their motion. They look pretty good. But they don't move like I check them. And I'll sit down. I'll just look them straight in the face and say, you look scared. What are you afraid is going to happen? And then they release and they'll tell you what they're afraid of. Well, I'm afraid it's going to happen again. I'm afraid I'm going to make it worse. I mean, so it's the fears that, that keep us into these small boxes. And like you'd said earlier, fear is we begin to put ourselves in boxes and we shrink and shrink. And pretty soon life becomes, I'm in this room, I'm in a chair and I can't do anything else. So the function of that is super important. So um, I would say, don't be afraid to ask yourself, what are you really afraid of? And then find someone who can answer that question for you. Some, anything to add on that? I, I think that was perfect because you see a lot of fear. If you can get them through the fear of, like you said, the unknown. Well, it, and I've had patients they limp, and you say, "Why are you limping?" And they don't even realize they're limping anymore. It doesn't hurt. They just that was kind of their protective mechanism. Once they realize it doesn't hurt, all of a sudden they stop limping. Just boop, it's gone. Yeah, it's a, it's this combination so of fear. It's chipboard. <laughs> <laughs> Chip, come on over here and say hi to the crew. Chip, tell them who you are. Uh, Chip Morton, Cincinnati Bengals, strength coach, father, friend, just, just husband. Throws, throws out out so <laughs> casually. Menti. Co-creator of OS no. Pro Performance. Oh, yeah. I'm a collaborator. Co collaborator. There you go. Collaborator. Yes. Um, we were just talking. Uh, he said it so casual. He works with the Bengals. So we were just talking about this idea of when, when people have chronic injury or at least a perception of chronic pain from injury, whether or not it's actually realistically being generated or psychologically being generated. What, what are any, any thoughts on that? Anything you've seen? I would imagine with your, with the players, they got to play no matter what. 
and we have to protect them as best we can. But like, there's like huge money on the line. And that is a difference, everybody, by the way, you don't want to train people through pain, but when your job is defined by showing up, there is a different set of circumstances for that versus like, I'm going to go sit at my desk job and I have to go play in a game, like paying me a lot of money. I don't know what that's like because I'm unathletic. Chip, take it from there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the the question we always ask or our athletic training staff asks, are you hurt or are you injured? And that's where it starts. If you're just hurting and there's some pain, but there's injuries been rehabbed or it's being managed, then we can move on within that. And so there's, um, on my end, we're dealing with limitations of what what, what pisses that, that off. What shouldn't we do? Or what do you want to avoid today? And we'll try different things. Um, as far as OS is concerned, we had a running back a couple of years ago, um, got pretty beat up in that particular game. I mean, he had internal, he had lacerations and internal organs that were lacerated. Just wow. It's almost like they had our playbook. And when he got the ball on the flat, there was somebody there, bam, and then happened again, bam, he got beat up. And he was off any kind of strength, any traditional exertional stuff for about a week. And if you know the NFL, it's we got to get back as soon as possible. If you talk about a job and you talk about productivity, it's week to week, man. We got to shorten that window of healing if we can. And so basically no traditional strength training for about 10 days while he healed and got treated. And all that time, it was just, we'd use just rolling and breathing, OS rolling and breathing. Then eventually at 10 days, seven, 10 days out, we started crawling and cross crawling and adding a little bit of load to that. <clears throat> he came back in a couple of weeks and had never, hadn't really gotten any traditional strength training. It was all OS stuff. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he jumped back in and played really well. So you talk about tying it together, you talk about strength training, the nervous system. It, he didn't lose that much physically in that short time, but neurologically we kept him wired up and kept him together and kept things firing and knitted uh, while he rehab while his body healed so then we kind of shortened that window the return to play was okay he's ready to go hearing you explain that way and some of what dr mike said during his presentation you know when we talk in, in kettlebell land about greasing the groove on a, on a press or something neurologically greasing the groove that even when we can't load we're still neurologically staying sharp now the interesting thing was you know <laughs> you just heard about like you know and 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 an alpha male player, competitive person, breathing, rolling around and crawling. So use this fellow trainers. When someone complains about head nods or crawling in your class, <laughs> like, so the, the interesting thing with chip is it, I, I caught the tail end of your presentation. I couldn't get in in, in time for it. Uh, so I freeloaded for the last hour and you were saying that you have incorporated 20 to 30 minutes basically of OS style, some loaded, some not loaded, and some not loaded. What have you seen in terms of the resiliency and recovery from the players since you started putting that into practice? Well, they'll come into the facility for a workout and we'll start with our groundwork, our, our resets in OS. So they may come in feeling pretty bad, sore, stiff, you know, going through the process of not breathing and nodding and rolling and rocking and crawling. Number one, their range of motion increases. The neurological system starts heating up, bodies, muscles heat up. They start figuring out, okay, how is this? How am I here? Oh, I didn't know this was sore. Hey, this is feeling better now. Or they come in with a sore shoulder and now with enough rocking, hey, it's feeling a little bit better. Um, so that 20 minutes, 
it's res- it's restorative, but it's also investigative in some respects. That mindfulness we talk about, and I'm not sure my players are always tuned into what's exactly going on. I'm talking about the basketball game the night before. Yeah. But that being said, they'll tune in. That they're investigating. Where am I at today? What can I do? Hey, this is a little sore, and then we may do some more some more work or something's tight. We'll work around that, or they'll discover some things that. They weren't, oh, yeah, now I remember it was from the fourth quarter yesterday. Um, so that 20 minutes, it just sets it, it just gets them in touch with their body. Actually, they'll start, and even on a, on a social and emotional level, they'll come in the room and they're very chatty. They're very chatty. But as we get into the resets, things just kind of quiet down. You know, one by one, the conversation mm-hmm. falls away. As now they're breathing. Now they're getting into the movement. Oh, ooh, that feels good, or this and that. And so all I hear is kind of the oohs and ahs, or maybe an occasional snore. <laughs> but you know, I lose a couple on the periphery. But that being said, it's just a time to settle into their bodies and prepare for the workout. Awesome. Well, I have to wrap this up way shorter because the course is about to go back on. Dan got pulled in because he's about to present. I want to thank Dan, Chip, and Mike, uh, OS family folks. Uh, check out the course. I don't want this to be a commercial. I wanted to actually provide the information from it, but uh, sp- special stuff comes on, goes on in here. And uh, I come back. It's my third time taking it. Chip was here last time and uh, when I was here and you know, it's always great to come back with sort of new ideas or just a rephrasing or new paraphrasing of the things you're thinking about, right? Sometimes it's just, oh, that really connected some dots, um, which allows you to have a deeper understanding because I think we all deal sometimes. I know myself with, uh, what do they call it, imitation syndrome, you know, imposter syndrome, where I feel like sometimes I'm just, I've taught courses where I'm like, am I just regurgitating somebody else's stuff? But when you keep being surrounded by people that are invested in the same things. You really do grow. So I got to thank Chip, Dan and Mike for allowing me to grow from hearing them present and working with them. And Chip and I got to screen each other, which was rad because we're both not huge screeners (laughs) and I'm getting that we got to go. So uh, thank you for listening, everybody. Stay tuned to the next episode. I hope you enjoyed the bonus later. The Coach Fury Podcast is created, owned, and produced by yours truly, Steve, Coach Fury Holliner for Fury Industries, LLC. Music provided by the FTW. Visit the ftw.nyc.com for band, album, tour, and merchandise information. And the artwork is created by Glenn Murrieta. Visit glennmurrieta.com. That's G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A. Or on Instagram, at Glenn Murrieta. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.